Hello and welcome to Millennial 726. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. I opened last week's episode with a talk about space and aliens. And I kind of want to continue that this week because there's been a lot of space news again. Billionaire and Virgin CEO Richard Branson flew to space for a few minutes on Sunday. Did either of you happen to watch us live? Yeah. No. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know if I would call it live. I definitely saw the footage reflected all over social media minutes after it happened. Okay. So that's my I, version of watching live. I see <laughs> the millennials version. Yeah, fair. Yep. Uh, I did not watch it live either, but I also watched the video after the fact. So he flew on a Virgin Galactic ship with five others within this company, including two pilots. Two of them were young women, by the way. One of them was a a, uh, a person of color, which I thought was very refreshing to see. They took this like badass crew photo, which I, I thought was so cool. They had these sweet uniforms and they were like, yeah, we're going to space. I was just like actually super impressed by that part. Um, but this was a big deal. Because Branson himself flying into space, many think, marks a new era for commercial space flights. So uh, Richard Branson has Virgin Galactic. Elon Musk has SpaceX. Jeff Bezos, former, now former uh, Amazon CEO, has uh, Blue Origin. They're all competing to become uh, the first to offer commercial space flight travel. Uh, But here's the thing. Virgin Galactic selling tickets for $250,000 a person. So obviously, this is not remotely affordable for anyone who isn't a millionaire or a billionaire. But I was curious, I thought, in light of this, and by the way, Jeff Bezos is now going up into space on July 21st? July 20th. Is he timing that with the moon landing? Is that when that happened? I, I believe so, okay. in 1969. Like, not that it's like a big milestone, but I'm pretty sure that that was around the time that they touched down, if not like the actual wow. date. Oh, what a yeah. pretentious jerk. <laughs> I, well, part of this, part of the reason this is funny is because Jeff Bezos actually announced that he was personally flying up to space first. And then Richard Branson said a couple days ago, uh, I'm going to fly to space and I'm going to fly to space before you. So I'm sure Jeff Bezos is feeling a little burned by that. He probably wanted to be the first billionaire to do so. But so right now there's this like pissing match between billionaires to get up to space first. But I was curious, like, is this something that appeals to us? going to space for a few minutes, let's say it was $1,000 a ticket. Would you do it? So I actually, the first job I ever wanted as a child was to be an astronaut. I've always been fascinated by space. And anytime I'm asked this question, like if you were given a realistic opportunity to go to space, would you go? And my answer to that question has always been yes. However, It comes with the caveat that it can't be ridiculously expensive. And so kind of like what you're saying, Andrew, you're saying $1,000. I'm thinking I would pay to go if I could do it for maybe a little bit more than like an expensive commercial flight, you know, on this planet. So $1,000 sounds kind of in that ballpark. Um, But I would want to be up there for longer than a few minutes. Yeah. Like, (laughs) and also give you a little tour around the moon or something. I don't know. It's not like, okay, so that I'm going to show my lack of understanding here. But where Branson went and where all of these other billionaires are going, 
is there is it is it really space in the way that we think of it? So Blue Origin is actually going to fly higher than Virgin Galactic, and uh, Blue Origin was sure to point that out yesterday before Richard Branson flew. They said, hey, when Bezos goes up, he's going up higher. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. This is a stupid pissing match. But the reason I would call this space is because Richard Branson was able to unbuckle and float. Okay. Zero gravity. To me, that's space. Yeah. That's all I need. I think that counts. Okay. Pam, would you do this and how much would you pay? I think that I would agree with Laura. Pending like test flights have gone okay. Right. You know. I want to let some other people go first. Right. Make sure they don't die. I'm not first in line. But, you know, in a couple years, if this is all fine and dandy, for if it was, you know, a thousand bucks for the experience, I mean, like, why not? But I think that you make a good point that this is not, even if it gets to a point where it's incredibly safe, this is not affordable. It kind of reminds me of how, you know, like you have to have a certain amount of money if you even want to think about climbing Everest. And that's on Earth. It's just like an expensive excursion that kind of, I think the world would like to believe that anybody could do it, but you have to have money to do that. So I I seriously doubt this is ever going to be only $1,000 in our lifetimes. Because no. just think of the demand and how many of these can they send up? You know, there's there's a lot of questions there. Yeah. I really don't think I would ever fly to space. No. I don't care if it's free. I'm not going up there. I, I, I get anxious enough flying on a normal flight. I was going to say. I would want this to be tested for like 50 years before I went up there. You're not even big on roller coasters. And I feel like nope. that would be like a roller coaster. Oh, God. Oh, the anxiety would kill me. Do they That's have true. in-flight drink service up to space? It's a good you know, question. Like, could you could you order a double of something? So first of all, we don't know how long the commercial flights will be, like how long you will be up in space. Richard Branson was only up there for a few minutes. Or they were he was at least unbuckled floating for a few minutes. You said a little trip around the moon. That sounds cute. I was thinking, how about like you get served dinner as you're in space. Like, what a beautiful that date, be right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, date night up in space. That sounds incredible. You know, so let's say you're up in space for like an hour. Yeah, you get to go up to the International Space Station and yeah, that have would be dinner fun. there. That would be fun. <laughs> I do wonder, though, Pam, you made me think of this when you brought up Everest because this has been a real problem for Mount Everest. Um, the amount of sort of like tourism yes. that is hap- like extreme tourism that's happening, it has attracted a lot of people who are not uh, have not been adequately trained and are not in the right condition to be making that summit, um, which has caused a lot of environmental problems for that region because it's just kind of overcrowded with people um, who really aren't in any condition to be climbing a mountain trying to do so. So it just makes me wonder, like, what are going to be the requirements for somebody to safely go to space? And could we potentially be or see the same problem that we're seeing here on Earth with people trying to do extreme elements that they can't uh, really handle? And will those same people be trying to go to space? I'm also kind of wondering how, like, say it does get to the point where this is easily accessible, pending you have 
the finances to do it, mm-hmm. how long it's going to be before they start um, like being a little bit more lax on those regulations, because that's really the the issue with Everest is that, you know, they're dishing out too many uh, permits to do this. And on one hand, personal responsibility. On the other hand, it's a source of income for the country. But but at the same time, you know, it shouldn't be happening at all. Well, it's really hard on, <clears throat> excuse me, on the Sherpas, right? right? Like the mm-hmm. people who are guiding them up the mountain. Right. Um, so it's already an incredibly dangerous job. And if you're trying to guide a bunch of tourists who have never hiked a mountain before <laughs> into doing that, it can be really dangerous for those people. So just seems like we could see <laughs> a similar trend playing out with space. I feel like you would need to pass some medical test to go up into space, but you're not personally climbing up into space. So I think it's in terms of how physically strenuous it is, I think it's a very different type of physical stress Mm -hmm. or stress on the body. But yeah, I don't don't know. I mean, Richard Branson is 70 and he did it. And that's what's so crazy to me, right? Because like you see, even if you see like any kind of documentary or biopic about astronauts going up to space, I know that they're up there for way longer, but it seems like even getting out of Earth's um, atmosphere is really hard on the body. So I'm just Mm -hmm. like really surprised that it seems to be no big thing. But maybe yeah. aircrafts have gotten better. Maybe there's some kind of technology right. that makes it a little bit easier on the body to to go up that high. I don't know. Yeah. And I would imagine it'll continue to improve. So like I said, Jeff Bezos will be flying up there Tuesday, July 20th. And I'll try to watch that one live. It's kind of it's fun to watch from an A, wow, commercial space flights. That's so exciting perspective. But also it's really exciting from a wow, I might watch a billionaire blow up perspective. Because there really is that chance. And and Jeff Bezos, you know, he's kind of a big deal. I know we don't like him, but imagine watching that live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's I, our I'm... breaking news for July. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's hope that our breaking news can just be Bezos survived his space expedition and he is back to exploit people for another day. You know, like... <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I have a question for y'all. I'm wondering if anyone else is feeling this conflict between acknowledging that this is very cool and it does mark, um, I think, the beginning of some significant advancements when it comes to space travel, especially commercial space travel. So I'm feeling that, but I'm also feeling like these people need to pay their fucking taxes. <laughs> like, it's just insane to me that they made so much money over the course of a pandemic, didn't pay any taxes on it, and middle-class workers in this country are really struggling to make ends meet and survive. Yeah, it is frustrating to see. There was a good tweet about this. Somebody said, we need a re-entry fee upon returning from space. <laughs> right? I mean, hell, if you there are certain countries if you go to that you have to pay like an exit fee to leave the country or an entry fee to get into the country. There should be an entry fee to come back to Earth if you are a billionaire <laughs> traveling commercially. Yeah. 
<laughs> they fly up there just so they can claim residency in space once a year. <laughs> they Honest, don't have to but the thing is, too, is like, that can't be good for the environment either. So I hope that they're at least paying, you know, to offset. You do have the... to wonder what these yeah. flights do. Because, of course, commercial flights right. you know, across the world aren't good for the Earth either. And this is way bigger. Right. Probably uses a lot more fuel to get outside right. our stratosphere. <laughs> yeah, you need a lot of oomph to get you out of the the Earth's atmosphere. A lot of oomph. Yep. That's exactly what it is. And that's the sound it makes. It just goes oomph. <laughs> and suddenly Bezos is in space. Well, I have a Rage of the Week. I haven't done a Rage of the Week in a while, but I've seen these headlines and it's really pissing me off. I think we might have predicted that this could happen. Um, but some shelters are reporting that... Um, some people are returning their pandemic pets now that life is getting more back to normal here in the United States. Um, some of these headlines kind of overblew this and made it seem like it was um, an epidemic of people returning pets. And New York Times put out a report um, showing that it doesn't appear that this is happening in droves. However, there are still some genuine cases where this has occurred and it fucking pisses me off because I'm like, listen, that dog, that cat, they may be a part of your life, but you have to understand that you are their whole life. And mm. the amount of damage that is done to an animal when they feel like they've been brought to a stable home that they can depend on and then you pull that out from under them and put them back in a shelter is supremely fucked up. So it's just really important anytime you're thinking about adopting a pet, you need to think very carefully about your lifestyle, how having a pet is going to integrate with that, and what your long-term prospects are of being able to commit to that animal for the duration of its life. Um, this isn't like I get to adopt a pet for the pandemic because I'm home, and then when I get to go back to bars, I don't want the responsibility anymore. It's not an object. It's not a toy. It's a living creature. And I think most people know that. But every now and then I see stories that just make my blood boil on this front. And I just couldn't imagine doing this. Now, I will say, I think that there are tragic, very sad circumstances that could necessitate somebody needing to make this very, very hard choice. So I'm not shitting on people in that circumstance. Where my frustration comes from is with people who don't think about the responsibility that they're taking on, and then the animal suffers for it later. Yeah. Even before the pandemic, this was an issue. It probably became a larger issue once the pandemic started and now that we're heading out of it. But I knew somebody a couple of years ago, still know, know this person, don't like him much anymore, uh, who adopted a dog and then returned them a year later because they didn't like the dog's attitude. They were too much to handle. But that's when you start getting the dog trained. You know, that's when you do everything you can to get the dog under control. I guess one of the biggest problems is people just don't know what they're getting into when they do adopt these dogs. So maybe there needs to be better education at the shelters, at the pet stores being like, hey, these are exactly the financial costs that you should be expecting. 
This is the type of daily routine you're going to need to get into with a dog. I think people just don't realize it a lot of time. And that doesn't make it okay that they're returning these dogs. It's still terrible. But you really have to think before you make a commitment like this. When I adopted Brooklyn, it was one of the scariest things I've done in my life. Because that's typically at least a 10-year commitment. Yeah, I mean, finances aside, I think that you made a good point about... Um, the dog's temperament in the example that you gave the person that you know. And I think a lot of times people don't realize, like they, they're almost kind of like blinded by the breed that they want and they don't take into account how much, um, like, uh, physical activity that dog exerts or like what the general temperament of the breed is or whether they're good with, like, for kids or not. You know, that's the other thing as well, especially if you adopt. Um, any kind of pet relatively young. I've had Jasper for 12 years now, but definitely when I adopted him, I was in a completely different stage of my life as I am now. And, you know, I've been really lucky in like, you know, if I, if I haven't been able to take him right away when I've moved that, you know, somebody in my family has always been happy to house him, but it just really sucks, you know, and, and I, that's like kind of all of the stuff that I wish I had put more stock in um, when I was, you know, kind of just blinded by this cute furry creature and like we've made it work, but it's a huge commitment. Sometimes I have to say like no to certain stuff anytime I want to take a trip and I don't take him, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. that's the other thing too. Like, I know so many people that are like, I'm going to get a dog. And I just think to myself, like you travel so much for work. There's no, like, where are you going to leave the dog? It's so sad. Right. Of course you could hire somebody to take care of them on a regular basis, but then that adds up. Yeah. I just, I was out of town for the weekend. I, uh, put Brooklyn with somebody nearby through the Rover app. It was 120 bucks for four nights. This person had good reviews and based on their, their bio and all that, like I trusted them. We're seeing a couple of comments here in the Discord um, about, you know, some circumstances that can be really exceptional, like if you were to adopt an animal that had an unknown, extremely expensive medical condition that had to be treated, um, and it turned out that that animal would be better served and taken care of in a different environment with somebody who specializes in being able to handle those kinds of issues, those things happen. They're tragic. It's sad when it happens, but it's completely understandable. My gripe, as you both have alluded to as well, is just with people who are um, primarily adopting because they're bored, <laughs> like to have yeah. something to do, rather than acknowledging that it is, you know, a lifelong responsibility for as long as that pet is with you. Another circumstance may be that you don't realize you or a family member have an allergy to a pet and you just can't live with a pet without them fucking you up. You know what? I'm allergic to dogs. I found out about this when Canella was six and the doctor was like, don't let her sleep in the bed with you. And I was like, <laughs> OK, <laughs> I'm just going to take Zyrtec for the rest of my life. It's fine. Look at this. Let Worth Laura it. be an example to everybody else. She can't yeah. breathe because of Canella and she still has Canella. Good for you. Yeah, it's funny you always. mentioned this story. And let's sleep with you. Oh yeah, she sleeps like on my pillow. 
and like props <laughs> right her head like right on my forehead and she's got That's... this scraggly beard um so it, it doesn't help but you know what it's she's worth it <laughs> Jasper does that sometimes too last night he was trying to burrow under my pillow and i was oh. like you can't go there <laughs> you they do can't. try the terriers you really love to burrow there. yeah he just likes to be in like tight enclosed spaces and i guess that includes like if he could sleep under my neck he probably would it's so cute yeah yeah he's too much (laughs) well maybe uh he missed you pam because you were out and about on the town i was out and about i did leave the house i know breaking news (gasps) um (laughs) (laughs) like how you have to like pause to introduce that yeah i did leave leave the the house house. (laughs) It's all for dramatic effect. Uh, I went to the movies for the first time since everything opened back up. I went to see Black Widow. Um, I, I kind of had it in the back of my head that, that was probably the one that I was I was going to rip the Band-Aid off with just because it's always good to see Marvel movies on the big screen. And um, I think that the best thing I could have done for myself is just kind of waited for something that I was excited to go see because I wasn't thinking about um, any of the anxiety that, you know, might come along with with doing something big like this for people that are maybe struggling to get back to normal, which is totally valid if that's you. Um, but it was really nice. My theater that is just right down the street from my house has had reserved seating for a very long time. So that was nothing new. Um, good mix of people. Some were wearing masks, some were not. I appreciated that um, parents that brought their kids that are under 12 had them masked up because I think that's really nice to see since like those people can't get vaccinated yet. And it was it was pretty packed for a Friday morning. I think there were about maybe 40 people in the theater. So that was kind of back exciting. at our morning showings. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite Some things thing, have though. changed. During the pandemic, but not when Pam goes to the movies. <laughs> but my favorite thing was um, I didn't realize how much I missed audience reaction. Like, it's just oh, so yeah. fun to to hear people like laughing, you know, in real time or gasping in real time. Yeah, like a communal experience. Yeah. Did you wear a mask? Um, I did just to start off because I didn't want to be the asshole that like was not wearing masks. And when I got in there, everybody was kind of masked up, but nobody sat next to us. So I took my mask off when the movie started okay. and I realized that there was like nobody behind us, nobody next to us, nobody in front of us. Okay. Man, the differences here are so funny because Pam, if you came to Georgia, <laughs> You could walk around without a mask anywhere you wanted and feel totally fine about it. People haven't been masking yeah. here since last summer. Yeah, that's probably so like. normal. Even at grocery stores here, there it's still like, in general, anywhere you go, there's a good mix. And here's the thing, too. There are a lot of people that are in the service industry or that are essential, like in any kind of retail that are still wearing masks. And I just kind of feel like such a jerk going into these stores and not putting my mask on because if they're required to wear masks presumably for their safety it's like it's not going to kill me to put a mask on for them that's been my policy too if the employees are wearing them but honestly i'm kind of in the headspace now where i'm just kind of forgetting to even bring my mask yes i've just i've just come to accept now it's like we're you know we're moving to this new maskless era I was at Disneyland in California over the weekend, and maybe only five to ten percent of people were were, were were wearing masks. And Disney was making no efforts to socially distance people in lines. 
So I probably breathed in COVID a hundred times over. Hopefully my vaccine holds up. But you know, indoor spaces, no spacing whatsoever, no plexiglass. There were there was plenty of hand sanitizer everywhere. But of course, that's not as we know, that's not how COVID spreads. So it's a very different uh situation in Southern California. Now, Disneyland, of course, it's not locals locals it's people coming in from all over so maybe that's a factor whereas everything pam was doing up in the bay area those are all you know she's amongst locals yeah but i was surprised by how few people were wearing masks at disneyland and and it's really funny because i was out in san Fran- some t- more touristy areas in san francisco over the weekend as well um i was also at the beach at one point and there was a really good mix of people some wearing masks and some not they still on have the signs- beach yeah, they still have signs up everywhere. But the thing is, is I was at a beach that is um is part of like um is part of the Presidio, um, which is government owned. So I think that they might operate under um different jurisdictions. Mm, so see. they were yeah. Um, but it it's like it's really interesting to kind of um to see how like certain cities are operating because San Francisco is operating on a completely different trajectory than even like forty miles north out in like wine country for example yeah well i'm uh glad you got back to the movies how was black widow by the way did you like it yeah i thought it was um i thought it was a fun movie i know that it seems to be getting mixed reviews um i will say that even though i knew going into it where it was supposed to fall on the mcu timeline it is kind of a shame that it took so long to make it I know. Because I think it would have been really nice um, to have seen it fall closer to where it actually takes place. Especially with all of the, I mean, we're still actively in the middle of Loki's run on Disney Plus, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you're not paying like super close attention to the timeline, I would imagine it could be a little bit confusing. Mm. I haven't seen yes. the movie yet, so I, I I don't know if there's anything there that happens that could be confusing. If there is, I didn't catch it. I, I I would be curious at some point when you and Mark check it out to hear what he has to say, because I know he's kind of like the unofficial Marvel correspondent as somebody that's oh, actually read the comic, the comic 100%. book. So. Yeah. We were just at a comic book shop over the weekend stocking up on collections <laughs> that cute. I need to read before this like next phase really <laughs> kicks off. Oh, gosh. That's important. I mean, like we're yeah. kind of in uncharted territory right now with all of that. So I think that like if there was ever a time to get some context, it would be now. Yep. I'm not sure if I'm going to see this movie in a theater yet or just watch it at home, but I am looking forward to it because like you, Pam, I've seen mixed reviews, but they've been more positive than I was expecting. Here's what I will say. I think that if you're just going as a casual movie goer, then it's it's a it's a fun time at the movies. There is a lot of humor injected into the script. There's some fantastic action sequences. The cast is really great. Um, and at its core, it's really kind of just a tale of a dysfunctional family trying to patch shit up. So okay. if that, if that pertains like- to you or if that appeals to you, then I would I would check it out. All right. Well, we'll get back to things in just a moment. But first, I wanted to share a word from one of my favorite sponsors, Third Love. 
It's nice to treat yourself once in a while, and what better way than investing in a brand new bra from Third Love? I've been wearing their bras for a couple of years now, and I swear by the fit. Third Love knows the science behind top-to-bottom comfort without sacrificing style, from perfectly fitted bras and underwear to quality sleepwear. It makes such a difference to wear a perfectly fitted bra. My clothes look better, and I'm not constantly having to adjust the fit throughout the day, like is often the case with other bras. I'm a fan of Third Love's 24-7 perfect coverage bra, but there are lots of styles to choose from. Need to find your perfect fit? Look no further than Third Love's Fitting Room Quiz. It's a quick and easy quiz to help discover your perfect fit while taking into account size, shape, current fit issues, and your personal style. No more awkward in-person fitting room experiences? Sounds like a win to me. You deserve some TLC. That's Third Love Comfort. Go to thirdlove.com slash millennial now to get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash millennial for 20% off today. Uh, Sticking with the Marvel theme, I wanted to talk about some news coming out of Marvel Studios because Kevin Feige had some interesting things to say about the future of how they're doing contracts. Um, Specifically, what was really interesting to me is that he insinuated that the uh, company is not necessarily interested in locking in its stars for long-term movie deals anymore. And this is kind of a big deal because back in the day, it wasn't uncommon to hear about these actors that were signing on to be signing on for like upwards of six movies or getting their contracts extended. Uh, Notoriously, this was... A uh, big reason why Chris Evans, for example, I think he denied um, the first offer to play Captain America because he wasn't sure if he wanted to be locked in for so long. Um, Samuel mm. Jackson, I think, holds the record from what I was reading for like the number of movies he was locked in for, like movies and appearances, because he <laughs> he was locked in for nine from day one, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Um, but doesn't really look like they're looking to do that anymore. Um, in an interview with uh, The Hollywood Reporter, which is where all these comments are coming from, Kevin Feige said that long-term contracts are not really garnering the same amount of buzz that they were towards the beginning of the MCU's rise. Um, it was a much bigger deal when, you know, like a Scarlett Johansson or a Chris Hemsworth was signing on and choosing to stay with the studio and with the franchise for, you know, years and years and years. Um, and now they're kind of switching over to a model that will seem to vary from that. So instead of multiple picture deals from the get go, uh, the plan, it seems, is to kind of get creative for what they're contracting their stars for. Um, so they're kind of looking at it project to project and cast to cast. Uh, Feige added, really, what we want are people that come in, are excited to be in the universe, are excited at the opportunity to do more things, as opposed to being locked into contractual obligations. And some of the other things that uh, these actors are being contracted for in lieu of movies are like theme park appearances, for example, which kind of makes sense since Avengers Campus just opened up. So uh, it seems like they're definitely looking to expand on that a little bit. Um, what I wanted to talk about is whether or not we think this is a smart move on Marvel's part, because it seems to me like what this really comes down to is that the studio feels like the brand is big enough on its own at this point to pack a theater and doesn't have to rely on these A-lister names to put butts in seats. Yeah, and I think that they've also taken this risk before and it has paid off. I mean, not to say that um, Hemsworth 
and um, Hiddleston weren't famous when they were cast, but definitely their roles in the MCU were what propelled them to a lot of mainstream um, major star status. Like they're super highly recognizable now, whereas maybe pre-MCU they wouldn't have been. So I think they've seen something like this, like casting more unknowns has worked out for them in the past. Um, And I do think the franchise is probably big enough that it can survive working on that. I do think it's interesting that they're not looking, not to say that they're not looking to contract people for multiple films, because it just sounds like Feige is only wanting to do that with people who actually want to be contracted for multiple films. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how that works out, just because the stories all tend to be so interconnected. So I wonder how that's going to work. So far, they've made a lot of right decisions with regards to this franchise. So I would trust this one as well. Yeah. Marvel is so big, but there are so many characters that are all propping up the Marvel world that any one of them suddenly disappearing, I don't think is as big of a deal as it was during phase one when, you know, it's five, six Avengers Mm -hmm. and they're all collectively uh together in one avengers movie it's just it's there are so many characters now it's way less important to have any one of them than it was before and now we're also looking at this marvel world without iron man and uh captain america the original captain america and maybe they're realizing that if they can make it without those two who really were a big reason why marvel's mcu has become what it is today they're gonna be okay yeah i um i'm personally kind of curious to see how this next phase plays out i think that you know you made a really good point with somebody like a chris hemsworth who was relatively unknown but maybe was known by some um i think what really helped there was that thor was arguably a bigger known superhero Mm -hmm. um so i guess like the the next time we'll really see this in action to see if it if it's like brand recognition versus like actor recognition is with Shang-Chi because um, that's like a lesser known superhero with a lesser known star. And so they really will kind of be relying on the, on the Marvel brand to, to bring people in. Yeah. As we mentioned a few weeks ago, I brought up the Guardians of the Galaxy example. Marvel does have a knack for making people really interested in titles that they've never heard of before. Now, the thing with Guardians of the Galaxy was, like, Chris Pratt, obviously huge, thanks to Parks and Rec, and it had a good all-around cast. But also, it was just very steeped in pop culture. You know, that those mixtapes, those were a huge hit. It might be easy to forget that now, but those were really popular yep. when those when that, those movies came out. Um, so I'm not saying that uh, Shang-Chi will be as successful as Guardians, but I think they they know how to make an entertaining movie. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. They know how to make a really good movie and they do it time and time again. So you have to give them the benefit, the benefit of the doubt with Shang-Chi and any of these others that don't have uh, the Chris Evans, the Hemsworths, the Downey Jr.'s. Yeah, I think we can also think about, like, what would we say is the worst Marvel movie 
that's ever been made. Um, at least in this current MCU. And uh, I would argue that it was probably like Thor 2, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but even that wasn't that bad. Like, even when Marvel's not on their A game, they're still pretty good. So right. I have faith. Or uh, mm-hmm. Iron Man 2 or 3 was pretty bad. I can't remember which one. I, I think it was 2 because I vaguely remember liking 3. Yeah, yeah. they're not they're, of course, they're not going to be perfect, especially with this many movies. Mm-hmm. It's another chapter to the story, right? And I think that at this point, they've probably trained us well enough to know that if we want all of the contacts, then we need to see all of the properties. Yeah, uh, it does look like Thor The Dark World is the lowest rated, to your point, Laura. I believe that was number two. Yeah. Um, actually, I saw that recently. And yeah, <laughs> it was really bad because Pat's watching all of them. Oh, we rewatched the first two Thors ahead of Ragnarok when that was hitting theaters. And I had to struggle through Thor 2. I was like, oh my God, this is I'm gonna this be is definitely not top tier Marvel. <laughs> I completely forgot that we're on the fourth Thor movie. Like I keep mm-hmm. forgetting because two is so forgettable. Yep. And three was so good. <laughs> and three was oh. amazing. Yeah, there's Ragnarok a lot of anticipation around four. Yeah. Yeah. So when does that come out? It's got to be next year, I guess. I believe so. so, Or in in, uh, 23, one of the two. (laughs) Thor, Love and Thunder. Like you just know from that title alone, it's going to be ridiculous. Taika Waititi is back and and so I'm there. (laughs) I think he was quoted recently. I read a quote, I think just yesterday. He was like, this is the craziest movie I've ever created by far. I never thought I would ever create such a movie. And all of his movies are kind of crazy. Yes, right, right, right. Like, have y'all seen uh, Hunt for the Wilder People? Because we just rewatched that. Oh, God, I love that movie. so good. I love that movie. (laughs) I'll have to check that out. It's amazing. I think it's on Netflix, so you can definitely stream it now. And Shang-Chi, I guess, is going straight to theaters. No Disney premiere access. Do you know, Pam? No, no. That one is going straight to theaters. Okay. And only theaters, I should have said. I believe so, yes. And then Eternals is coming out in November, which is another one I don't think a lot of people have heard of. So No. But, you know, they're really lucky because uh, Chloe Zhao is directing that and she won the oscar for oh yeah yeah so i believe that's right right i'm not making that that's up. right i'm looking right okay now. good yeah. yeah so i think that they got an extra bump for that the cast is packed with these big names and the trailer was really good and really stylized and i think that all of that together is definitely going to intrigue people even if they have no idea what the story is about yeah it stars angelina jolie kit harrington richard madden so there you go. Salma Hayek, Gemma Chan. Cool. So something else I wanted to talk about was a topic in the Millennial Facebook group. And I know once before, at least once before, we've brought up some hot topics in the Millennial Facebook group. And I'd love to do this more often because the group consists, shockingly, of uh, many millennials. And it's interesting to get their takes on things. And Pauline wrote this... Uh, posts that I'll read. Rants, I hate our hustle culture. Why do our hobbies and things we do to relax need to be reframed as some sort of capitalist money-making business? Why are we not allowed to just pursue a hobby for the sake of pursuing it without having someone go, you should start a business out of this? I really enjoy photography, but it's something I do to relax. 
When I'm stressed, I like to go out and take photos. I love traveling and taking photos, but it's something I do to decompress, to black out the stresses of my job, which I do like. But I swear so many people, mainly family, will go, you need to start a business out of this and are shocked when I say I don't want to, which usually leads them into calling me a lazy young person, which is super fun. Just one of my fuck capitalism and hustle culture moments. So like I said, that was... Pauline, who posted that, a lot of people replied to that. And I wanted to bring this up, especially because on this show, <laughs> we are guilty of this. We're guilty of highlighting how people are talk are, are taking their passions and turning it into something they can make money off of. But we, I don't think we've ever acknowledged that it's okay to just not make money off of something that you're passionate about. It's, of course, great when you do. But I'm going to be more mindful of this going forward as well, because I totally hear what Pauline is saying. There are things that I, too, do and don't want to get paid for just because they are my ways of relaxing. Just like Pauline, I like taking photos. I'm no good. Nobody would pay me to do that right now. But even if I got good, I probably wouldn't want to become a photographer who does who does it for money because then it becomes a lot less fun. Then you have deadlines. Then you have pressure from people. When it's just a hobby, no matter what the hobby is, there's no pressure. You just do it to your satisfaction and you don't have to answer to anybody. I feel like this was an extension of um, extracurricular culture that was pushed on us when we were in high school and college. You know, it wasn't it reached a point where it was not enough to have straight A's um, and, you know, be able to get into college based off of your grades and test scores. You also had to be a top tier performer when it came to your grades, but you also had to be playing an unusual instrument in band or like excelling in 13th century basket weaving on your weekends. Like, I feel like our generation has really been pushed into this corner of like, hey, so we know that your regular like 40 hour a week gig, whatever it is you do, that's not going to be enough to sustain yourself. So you're going to have to be an entrepreneur on top of that to really make yourself stand out from the crowd. Um, I think it, it really is a condition of creating a generation of people who were made to feel like they had to overachieve constantly. That's a good point. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a fair point for sure. I'm glad Pauline brought it up. And you pair that with now people see so many people launching side hustles. They see it on the news. They read about it in newspapers online. So when they hear that their family members are getting into photography or really enjoy photography or any other hobby, they're automatically like, hey, time to make some more money, right? Why not? I know that we obviously, you know, make money off of this show, but sometimes I I don't know if you guys run into this, but sometimes I talk to uh, family members or even friends about, you know, what we do here because they're curious and I'm happy to answer questions. But I feel like it always turns into like, how much money are you making and why aren't you making more? Everybody's selling their shows to these bigger podcast companies. How come you guys aren't doing that? You know, like if you've really been doing it for this long and you're making money, you could be making more like, you know, that that is so stupid. I know, but I just think that like, I, 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 you know, at the same, it's like a, it's a buzz thing, right? It's a clickbaity thing. They just see all these headlines and they just assume that that's really easy or that people would want to do that 
or that it um it wouldn't like completely strip you of any like creative control for example like exactly. there's a lot more that goes into you know getting one of these bigger podcast deals and and um and so yeah it's just like even if like say like you you do find a hobby and you're making a little bit of money off of it but it's not um anything that's like super stressful i just feel like um, so it's like the world is conditioned to ask you why you're not making more money or why you can't like retire off of, you know, these passion projects. And so I think that there, there needs to be a happy medium for sure. Mm. We're like, it's, a, it's okay if you like you, you do something that you enjoy and like every once in a while you get some, some, some kind of like monetary compensation. But like, if you don't, that's okay too. Pam, Joe Rogan was purchased by Spotify for hundreds of millions of dollars. Why can't you? Right, exactly. Somebody <laughs> gave like crazy. the, it was like a weird like example. I can't remember the name, but it was some kind of like barstool sports deal, like one of the bigger ones. It's like, but- <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least they think you, they think you're that big, but like, yeah, or yeah. this podcast is that big, yeah. but it's not. Spoiler alert. No, it's not. <laughs> I think in our case, like you said, we like having creative control. We also have not been offered such a thing, but I would I would hate to give up creative control. Yeah, I think it would like, obviously it would have like, let's just say it happened. It would have to be the right deal. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but but it is kind of funny where it's like all of a sudden everybody's a financial advisor and they feel like <laughs> everybody knows what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I really love it when people feel qualified to speak with great authority about someone else's financial situation. And I'm like, oh, are you I'm sorry, are you a fiduciary? Right. Do you work I totally in the world of miss podcasting? That about you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for making assumptions that every podcast gets bought just because you read a story or two about one. Yeah, I know. Are there any hobbies that you two have that like you would never turn into a job or want to turn into a job? It's a good question. I've These never two are thought hustlers. about it that way. That's, that's just how it is. No, it's it's more like I, you know, for example, it's funny because I follow some gamers who, you know, that is their primary job is that they're streamers. And I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching their Let's Plays and things like that. But I actually don't think I would want to do that myself. When I'm sitting down to play a game, I really just want to unwind. I want to hang out with friends. Like, it's really hard for me to imagine wanting to do that professionally. Now, on the other hand, that is something that Mark is super interested in. Um, which I can understand because he has a background in game design. So it's it's kind of it's similar in in the regard that like we've been podcasting since we were teenagers. So it's kind of like in our blood that this is a hobby, but also something that, you know, provides some monetary gain. But I think for other things like, you know, playing games or like, Things that I do with my dog, (laughs) just like, you know, sometimes I groom her on my own. That's not really something like I enjoy it, but it's not something I would want to turn into a business, you know? Yeah. For me, is there anything? For me, it's hard because, like, I feel like so many of my passions are just like deeply embedded in what I do for work. And Mm. that's Mm -hmm. really, really nice. I'm so grateful 
for those opportunities. But then it just makes me sound really boring because I can't be like, I go to the movies as my hobby because I <laughs> go to the movies for work. Or I can't say, right. Um, you know, I, I like to, um, I like to read because it's usually reading for work. Um, so, so it's, it's really, <laughs> it's really tough for me to pinpoint something that I, I don't, uh, I enjoy doing that isn't also work. Um, but I, I think that like, I, I don't do it every year, but every, every couple of years or so now, um, I'll like sign up for NaNoWriMo if a bunch of my friends are doing it. And so like, that's like a completely different kind of writing. Even if I write for work, that's like creative writing. And I don't think I would ever want to like write a book because first of all, I don't think I'd be very good at that. Um, and second of all, it's a lot of work, but I enjoy the process of coming up with like, you know, plots and things like that and and like establishing a community around that and doing like peer review um, with friends and things like that. So I guess that would be something. Same. I really enjoy writing too. And I think, I think I would, if I, if given the opportunity, if somebody wanted to buy my story, um, I would publish I would sell it but I would probably do it under a pen name because I kind of just like to keep work stuff as separate from my personal life as I can me too so so like I don't think that I would want the possibility of like somebody knowing that I wrote a book if I didn't want them to know (laughs) Right. You know, yeah. that's that's the other thing, too. Like the the fear of being known is very strong for me. So I would definitely also yeah. want to, to publish under a pen name and then like never speak of it <laughs> ever. Same. Well, we should probably move on, but I wanted to bring that up. Thank you, Pauline. And by the way, if you want to join the Facebook group, it's open to everybody. It's at Facebook.com slash groups slash millennial show. There is a little quiz uh, to uh, to make sure that you're not a bot. One of the questions is, what is simming? And you can just write donut if you want. Some people, when they answer that, they're like, I'm afraid to search for what this means. <laughs> and you should be. <laughs> but everybody's welcome, as long as you're a human. We just get a lot of bots, so we set up a couple questions to verify. I love the way people answer that question because they usually think it has to do with the Sims or like (laughs) running a simulation. Yeah. And I'm like, I can tell you're a real person based on the way you answered this. But no, it's eating a donut off of dick just for anyone who's curious. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's on Urban Dictionary as well. It is. And I have it as a mug. (laughs) Let's move on. And speaking of hustles, it's time for a word from this week's sponsor, Stamps.com. This summer is showing welcoming signs of a more normal life ahead. Finally, you can get back to enjoying life's pleasures, like going to a concert, seeing a movie, going to a bar, being near people again, and going to the post office. Okay, so some parts of normal life aren't so great, but with Stamps.com, you can skip trips to the post office and save on postage in the process. Stamps.com brings the same U.S. postal and UPS shipping services right to your computer. They make it easy for small businesses to mail and ship without needing to take a trip to the post office. Print official U.S. postage and shipping labels 24-7 without having to leave your desk or buy any fancy equipment. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. 
Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It is that simple. What I also love about Stamps.com is that it'll send your recipient the tracking number so you don't need to hold on to a receipt and then punch that long combination of numbers and letters into an email or a text message. As soon as you print your stamp, Stamps.com will send along the tracking number. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There is no risk, and with our promo code MILL, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There are no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in MILL. That's Stamps.com, promo code M-I-L-L. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Well, hopping into politics here, I thought we could do a student loans check-in on today's show. The reason for that is if you have federal student loans in the United States, you probably have not been paying these since about March of 2020, and federal loans are currently set to resume repayments on September 30th. So every all of our first payment will presumably happen in October. And there has been a lot of news on this. People like Liz Warren, certain members of the Department of Ed, among other prominent progressives, are pressuring Biden to extend relief beyond September 30th, arguing that the pandemic is not yet over, the economic impacts are still being felt, and that a significant portion of borrowers would not be in a position to be able to start repaying again as soon as October of this year. So I wanted to just take y'all's pulse on this. Do you think that student loan payments are going to get postponed again? I don't know. That's so hard. But I I think that the arguments are, I think they're really compelling. So many people are still struggling. Um, The unemployment rate is like not that great. And and I think that um, there is a, anybody that's, that's opposed to extending that moratorium is not thinking about maybe like the backup bills that people have yet to make good on. Even if you take basic human empathy out of it and you just want to make it a conversation about economics, it's not good for the economy if a, signif- if a significant portion of these borrowers are unable to pay. Yeah. Right. And right. it also puts them in the position of having their credit wrecked, etc. So I agree. I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. And honestly, I'm feeling kind of optimistic about this because Biden already pushed it out once before. This was supposed to end in March of this year, and the administration bumped it out to September 30th. So I actually feel relatively optimistic that this will get bumped out a bit more. Um, Some people are speculating that it could be March of 2022, that it gets moved to. Um, but we don't have official word yet. So maybe that'll be our breaking news this month. Maybe maybe either in July Party. or August we'll get word. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to pay your student loans for six we'll more months. Woo. Over here crying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that Listen. you know, like obviously this it's been a huge relief for anybody that hasn't been able to afford to pay. Um, but I know for like, I not, I don't know a lot of people, but I, I'm thinking of like one person in particular who w- was um, very lucky in the pandemic that they ended up getting um, a 
um, a promotion and a pay increase, which is very rare. And this really helped that person out because they were able to put a larger dent in on what they already owed. I think from like a, a larger scope, holding off can only help. Right. Because while they're deferring this, um, it's not accruing interest. So there is 0% interest on the loans at that time. Um, and they also are not penalizing people who are in default on their loans. So it is extremely beneficial. And it's definitely not, well, I'm sure there are some different ideologies that might argue that it's hurting people. In my opinion, it's doing the least possible harm <laughs> that something like this could do. And I think it would be actually more harmful for people uh, and also the economy if we try to launch people back into this too soon. One recent decision that might uh, hint at what will occur is that the eviction moratorium was just extended mm-hmm. end of June, but it was only a one month extension. So that's a little worrying that that one was only extended by a month. So mu- that might suggest that maybe the loan one will be extended, but through March, given what happened here, I don't know. That sounds like a stretch. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. It just depends on... Again, I think it's an economics question. Um, how the but yeah, how the the job market looks, how the economy yeah. continues to recover. Yeah, I mean, y'all, listen. I went to Taco Bell the other day. Okay, this is a sidetrack thing, but hear me out. I went to Taco Bell. Line was super fucking long, and I've spoken about this on the show before. As in my area, in particular, um stores, restaurants, anything that service industry is extremely understaffed right now because people during the pandemic either retrained to do something else or are still struggling to find employment again after they got laid off during the pandemic. When I finally got to the window, I still waited like another 15 minutes for them to give me our food. And the lady at the window handed me a flyer being like, if you know anyone who needs a job, please give this to them because oh, we're wow. so understaffed. So things like that and the fact that we know the service industry across the board is really struggling right now tells me that the economy would not be in a very good position if a significant portion of people defaulted on their loans. Yeah. Yeah. There have been gas shortages around here, and not because of what went on a couple months ago, but because the gas delivery companies fired people during the pandemic, and they're mm-hmm. having a pro- they're having a problem hiring drivers again. The closest gas stations to me have been out of gas because they haven't been able to get delivery drivers back. That's wild. All you got to do is start paying people better. Yeah. Well, did you see the Burger King where the entire staff quit? Oh, yeah, the and they, sign. <laughs> yeah, it's like, sorry, we all quit. <laughs> Could that be real? That's uh, that that's crazy to me. I feel like there have been multiple instances of similar stuff happening, though, right? People are yeah. just really looking to try and um, and and um, 
like finesse better working conditions for themselves. And a lot of these com- uh, employers for these bigger companies aren't even asking for very much. So no, it's really just too bad that yeah. uh, that it's to the point where the demands clearly can't be met so that these people can can justify working there still. Yeah. So clearly still quite a bit of recovery ahead of us for sure, which is why I think the smart choice would be to extend forgiveness for a while longer. We'll see what happens. Um, But there has been some other encouraging news. Biden recently forgave $1.5 billion in loans for student borrowers who were defrauded by for-profit colleges. Um, This is something that has been a big topic of discussion. Like you think about these like ITT tech schools. And, you know, Trump University was also a great example of a for-profit college that defrauded its students. Um, So really glad to see that there's been some movement here. Um, And the administration is also making it easier for first-time homebuyers with student debt to qualify for mortgages. Um, So the... Um, FHA announced changes to the student loan calculation in order to make this easier on home buyers. Previously, the calculation that was used in order to determine eligibility um, assumed that borrowers had a monthly payment of 1% of their principal loan balance. Um, this was something I actually encountered when I was purchasing my first home. My lender way overassumed what my monthly payment was based off of this rule. So they assumed that I was paying like over $1,000 a month in student loans. And I definitely was not. I was on an income-based repayment plan, which at the time had me paying like $70 a month. So it's a pretty big difference there, but it had a significant impact on what the mortgage company determined I would be able to afford. So now that they are relaxing this rule, it's going to make it a lot easier for people with student debt to qualify for mortgages and for their income to actually be reflected accurately and not have incorrect calculations being made about their monthly burdens. Hmm. So that's good news for all of you who are interested in buying a home. Yeah. And a final item that I found really interesting. This was reported by Forbes. So the Department of Education announced that it is hiring Toby Merrill as their deputy general counsel. And what's interesting about this is, one, Merrill was actually the founder and director of the Project on Predatory Student Lending. And he also drafted a key legal analysis stating that the president has the authority to discharge student debt through executive action. This is particularly interesting because we've heard stories over the course of the last few months about Biden asking this question of higher ups in the Department of Ed. Do I actually have the authority to do this? Because he's sort of been uncertain as to whether or not he actually has the executive authority to make that decision. So to me, this feels like a move in the right direction, that we have people being put in positions of power who could potentially help move along decisions that would make life a lot easier 
for student borrowers in this country. Can they time this potential forgiveness around the midterms to get everybody really excited right before the midterms and then That's get some good blue turnout? <laughs> That's kind of what I'm wondering is okay. going to happen. Okay. Um, and it kind of takes me to my question. Do we think forgiveness is coming based off of these updates? <laughs> forgiveness is coming. Do we think it's coming. possible? <laughs> it's like winter is coming. <laughs> I will say that I've never been more optimistic. I think that that could just be because there's a better shot of, you know, some kind of forgiveness coming with the Biden administration than there would have been with the Trump administration. So that could just be me looking through rose colored glasses, you know, as a result of the last four years that we've had to endure. So I guess the question is, is there more momentum around this idea than there was while Obama was in office because he was in office for eight years and didn't do anything? I kind of feel like there is more momentum around this now, just because the generation that is so heavily impacted by this issue, you know, during the time Obama was in office, a lot of millennials were still college aged or like Mm -hmm. just beyond college. But now we're fucking in the thick of it (laughs) and everybody knows it sucks. Everybody feels the impact. I mean, even if you don't have student loans, we've spoken about this on the show before, it does still impact all of us if we're the first generation to have less wealth than the generation that came before us. Um, It's not good for millennials economic prospects if such a significant portion of our population is saddled with this kind of debt. So I think that it probably will boil down to an economics question at the end of the day, like what's worse for the American economy, forgiving all this debt or letting a bunch of people default on it? Because there's plenty of speculation that within the next decade, We could have as much as 40% of borrowers defaulting on their loans. That's bubble bursting territory. And I would argue, and I'm not an economist, but just from the outside looking in and having been a young person, just like everyone else on this panel who watched the housing crisis happen, I feel like we would do better to address this and take the hit sort of like on the nose rather than wait for it to become an economic disaster, because that's when it becomes so crippling. Yeah. When you're also thinking about just trying to stimulate the economy after COVID in any way that you possibly can, just from the COVID perspective alone, it seems like a a good reason to do so. Yeah. Well, the money that I've not been spending on my student loans this entire time, I've been spending on other things. Out on the town. Yeah. Getting her hair did. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my most recent example. But, you know, also like spending money on, you know, a lot more like streaming services, for example, because we've been stuck at home. We bought an exercise bike at the beginning of the pandemic. Like these are things that would not have been feasible if I were saddled with a monthly student loan payment. I would be having to make more cuts in what I'm doing. And that's it is a first world problem. But at the end of the day, for people who love to talk about, you know, oh, the economy, the economy, the economy, it's better for the economy if people are spending that money 
rather than being saddled to debt with debt. Right. Death. But Laura, you can't talk about the exercise bike and streaming services. You got to talk about the local local economy. You got to talk about the mom and pop coffee shop. You got to say, I'm supporting those places, Mitch McConnell, because I don't have to pay for for student loans. So please. I mean, we got we got a lot of takeout during the pandemic. Right. Right. And probably wouldn't have done that as much. Right. You helped keep small businesses afloat. He doesn't really care about those small businesses. That's the big myth that we have to get over as a country. Like we have to get over this hurdle that people like Mitch McConnell actually care about fetuses or small businesses. Like they really don't. You don't think it's so? Power. I mean, we don't need to get into this now. But like in Kentucky, he cares about them. He has to. No? I think he cares insofar as they allow him to hold on to his power, right? Okay. I think for yeah. a lot, there are a number of politicians who are very power-oriented, but you're right. That's another discussion for another time. We have a small update about the Olympics, which are fast approaching. They're about two weeks out now. They're obviously taking place out in Tokyo, which we've reported in the past. Um, And the last time we talked about this, we talked about how organizers were saying that basically things were going to move forward as planned. They were going to, um, you know, allow uh, people from the area to come in and spectate and make use of these tickets that a lot of them have probably been sitting on for a while since they had already been pushed back at one point. Uh, but late last week, they actually announced after a meeting with spectators and organizers that uh, Tokyo would be banning all spectators from the stadiums and arenas where the Olympics will be taking place. So that's a pretty big deal, given that it seems like everything was going to move forward as they were hoping it would. Um, there is a very tiny caveat to this. So a small handful of events in outlying areas will still allow some fans. So for example, baseball, which is going to take place out in Fukushima, will allow a limited number of spectators, presumably because it's outdoors and there's more space to kind of spread some people out. And then in addition, some dignitary sponsors and IOC officials will still be allowed to attend the opening ceremony. Um, This news actually comes on the heels of the Japanese government putting Tokyo under a state of emergency due to rapid rising COVID-19 cases, and then also concerns surrounding the Delta variant. Uh, So the state of emergency runs from July 12th through August 22nd, and the Olympics run from July 23rd through August 8th. So this that falls right in the middle of this state of emergency, um, which cannot be a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, but overall, I think that this was the best move for everybody involved. Obviously, it's a huge economic hit for Tokyo, not necessarily just on like surrounding businesses um, and also just in terms of like tourism, but also just in terms of like, you know, the Japanese government, which is now going to have to um, pay um all of the money they thought they were going to be reimbursed by having people from all over the world come in for these events. Um, but, you know, the safety of people has to come first, right? Yeah. So I completely understand why they're doing this. But of course, as you were getting at there, one reason countries often get so excited about the Olympics, hosting the Olympics, is it brings so much tourism to their country or to their city. So it definitely sucks from that perspective. But, you know, this is a world unifying event. 
And after the past year and a half, I I think it's a great thing to have. And obviously, COVID is still a big problem in many countries around the world. And even for those countries still going through it, I think it'll be nice, again, for the unification aspect of it all. I mean, God, yeah, there's so much on the news. It's doom and gloom about COVID. And of course, it is miserable. But it'll be nice to have something like this. Yeah, I I feel mixed about it. I think that there are pros and cons to this, just like with everything. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, and I think it speaks to maybe some differences in culture with regard to individualism versus more community approach. Like, I can't see... In this country, for example, um, certain states putting their cities under a state of emergency because of the Olympics. Like maybe if they were happening in California, (laughs) y'all would get put under a state of emergency for that. But if it were happening like here in Atlanta, for example, there's just no way it would be a free for all. They'd say everyone can come to Atlanta (laughs) and everyone buy tickets. We're going to double capacity, in fact. Let's hear from our final sponsor of this week, Felix Gray. We are once again happy to be sponsored by Felix Gray because we have been using their blue light filtering glasses for months now and we continue to love them. Blue light causes a world of problems. Worst of all, it can make screen time tough on the eyes and disruptive to sleep. But Felix Gray's glasses filter 15 times more blue light than the other glasses out there, making these the glasses the ones to buy. Felix Gray glasses put a barrier between the blue light and your eyes to truly filter the bad light out. I very quickly noticed an improvement, and now I cannot imagine looking at the computer screen without the glasses on a daily basis. They're also helpful with LED light bulbs, Kindles, TVs, and phones. Oh, and they also look really great. I've actually always envied those who wear glasses because I like the look, but my eyesight hasn't been an issue, so I've never had a reason to wear them. Speaking of eyesight, Felix Gray's glasses are available with and without prescriptions, and they come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get yourself a pair of glasses made for the 21st century and designed for modern, hardworking eyes. You have nothing to lose except maybe some eye strain, so go to felixgrayglasses.com slash M-I-L-L for the best blue light glasses on the market. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash M-I-L-L. Free shipping, free returns, free exchanges, felixgrayglasses.com slash M-I-L-L. Okay, time for some recommendations. Laura, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so mine is to make sure that you have some Benadryl either at home or on you. And here's the reason for it. So my brother is, he's highly allergic to bees, wasps, hornets, you name it. And last week he had to go to the emergency room because he got stung by a couple of hornets and very nearly went into anaphylaxis. (gasps) And the only reason he didn't was because When he started feeling the symptoms while he was waiting for the ambulance to arrive, he took a Benadryl and that really took the edge off on the allergic reaction and not to like make it sound super dramatic, but 
it, in that kind of instance, something like that can save your life. So making sure that you keep something like that sort of like on your premises. That way, if you or someone you love is having an allergic reaction, you can, um, you know, hold it at bay, hopefully, uh, while you wait for emergency responders to reach you. Glad your brother's okay. Yeah, that was intense. You know, I think I need to listen to that recommendation because we go on hikes and like there's a chance you can get stung by something. But also I keep saying to Pat, like, we really need to start bringing a first aid kit, like a small one. We don't have any Mm band-aids. You know, you can easily fall and cut yourself or something. So I'm adding that to the future first aid kit. Yeah, it's amazing how much um, how much Benadryl can do. Most of the time when you call like a like a nurse hotline or something like that and you have some kind of allergic reaction they tell you to take benadryl so we always have it in the house as well for that reason also because EpiPens are fucking expensive <laughs> yep that too um i wanted to recommend uh nut bot nut pods which is a non-dairy creamer it's a mix of almond and coconut it's just really nice if you want like a nice little treat in your coffee i really like it for iced coffees um and i i'm pretty sure i've made this recommendation before but the reason that i wanted to bring it up this week is because i was at costco and i saw that they carry it at my costco now so they might carry it at yours too and it's such a steal you get three large bottles for 10 bucks and um it's it's a good price. So if you've been wanting to try these, but you feel like they're too expensive at the local grocery store, or if you really like them and you want to get a better deal, I would check and see if your Costco is carrying them because this was an exciting find for me. So do you hate looking over your shoulder while driving because your car lacks wide angle blind spot mirrors? You know, you got to yes. do that thing, you know, hate it. Everybody should buy stick-on blind spot mirrors. You can get these on Amazon anywhere, really. And they just sit in the corners of your uh, passenger and uh, driver rear view mirrors. And you see so much more with these little things. I'm like addicted to it. I can't imagine not having one. Pat just got a new car. And I was like, you got to get these because without them, you do have to keep looking over your shoulder. And even then, you can't really see as well as you do with these mirrors. And they're kind of like fisheye, so you see a very wide angle. Ah, godsends. A lot of cars have actually been adding these, but not all cars do yet. So definitely grab these stick-on blind spot mirrors for your car, and you will have a better driving experience, in my opinion. Yeah. I will admit, sometimes I feel like I'm taking my life into my hands when I'm changing lanes. When I'm like, I look over my shoulder, I'm like, I don't see anybody back there. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, there's always a chance that somebody's going to come over quickly after you look or somebody's going to drive up quickly behind you. So with these mirrors, Mm -hmm. you can much easier. It's much easier to see the situation during the entire lane change. I'm going to buy these. Excellent. Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode. A couple of reminders. We would love your support at patreon.com slash millennial. In last week's After Dark, we discussed what we would do with the money we won in one of these vaccination lotteries, and it turned into an interesting discussion on the current real estate market, so do check that out. And what is coming up on this week's After Dark? We're going to be talking about um, some news out of Iceland. They recently tested a four-day work week and found that it was an overwhelming success. So we're going to talk about that and whether or not we think we could see something similar happening happening in the United States, as well as what a four-day work week would mean for us. Sounds good. Again, that's patreon.com slash millennial. Thank you very much. We greatly, greatly appreciate your support. 
Also, make sure you are following the show for free on your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. And we would also appreciate if you left a review of the show. If your podcasting app has that feature, you can contact us by writing directly to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. Also, do follow us on social media for show previews and more. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, Bye. everyone.